You're listening to Test, Learn, Grow, where we believe that all marketing should create value, build trust, and inspire change. This is the Level Agency way. Hey, Miles here from Level, and I am proud to be your podcast host. In every episode of Test, Learn, Grow, I'll be joined by agency team members and other members of the marketing community for radically candid conversations on all things marketing. So without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Welcome back for another episode of Test, Learn, Grow. Our guest today is Eric Papson. He's the president of Interactivate and the mastermind behind the VRT, which we're gonna dig deeper into today. So Eric, first, thank you for joining us. And before we get deep into the VRT, I'd love just to hear a little bit more about you specifically. I know you've had a very successful career and would love just to share some of that with the folks at home before we dive into the VRT. So tell us about yourself. Yeah, hey, thanks Miles, and it's it's great to be here. So I I got started kind of late in, in digital marketing actually, so I, I was an entrepreneur. My brother and I had a golf art and memorabilia company that we ran together. So we're selling physical product all over the world. And part of my role between the two brothers was to build the website and do the digital marketing. And so I, we did that and we were quite successful at it. But then I was like, man, this is like, should be my, I should focus solely on this. And so at 37, I decided to go out and pitch myself to digital marketing agencies in Chicago. And I went, to just about every one of them. And one of them was kind of bold enough and brave enough to let me in at 37. I was like the, one of the oldest guys there. And that was Performix, which is a performance marketing agency in Chicago. I spent 10 years there. I, I was like an entrepreneur, built their SEO practice and content marketing practice. And then eventually I had the opportunity to serve as their US president. And I did that for a few years and then moved on to kind of start my own agency, which is Interactivate, which I've had for the last five years. I love that. Yeah. I feel like that's such a common thread for us marketers is there's few people in the field that like were born and said, I'm going to be a marketer. And so people just kind of stumble their way into the profession. And it's always fun to hear from what corners of the professional space they find their way. So that's neat. Appreciate you sharing that. So Knowing all that now, that's your background that led you to, you said, going out on your own with Interactivate. And you've come up with something you call the VRT, which stands for Visibility, Relevance, and Trust. So let's start with the background of this. When we say that, the VRT and those three words, what are we talking about here? Yeah, so it's it's an effort to kind of simplify the complexity of of marketing. And when you think about it, do it from a very buyer-centric perspective. Uh, you know, st- standpoint. And so when we think about marketing, why do we do all of the things that we do? Right. When you, you know, we, at, from SEO to, you know, to display marketing, you know, to social media, all of these things are just all tactics that are trying to get a consumer to know about us, engage with us and trust us. So what, I, what all of, all I've done is kind of taken and boiled down all of these tactics into the essence of how buyers make decisions. And so when you think about it, visibility, relevancy, and trust are kind of these three things that have to happen for someone to choose your product over someone else's. And at the end of the day, what they really do, if you want to, you want to, you have one word, one kind of phrase that captures all of it, 
what we're trying to do is develop a brand preference. So you can't get a brand preference unless you have, you know, you know about the product. That's visibility. Can't develop a brand preference unless that connects, that product or service connects with you in a meaningful way. And you're probably not going to give your time, money or energy to something unless you trust it. And that's the trust component. Makes sense. So you're a performer for a number of years in a variety of capacities, ultimately is the president. So I'm sure a lot of your experience in an agency helped drive this for what you saw over countless clients. Yeah, but, you know, what yeah. it was, Miles, is that, you know, anyone that's worked in an agency or has worked, you know, has hired an agency will kind of, will, will, will understand this, which is that it's almost every agency is built with silos. And, and the reason why that is, is because digital marketers tend to be specialist. Right. The folks that do your paid search don't tend to do your SEO unless you're working very, very small, like a one shop operation, a very small operation. Larger agencies just naturally start to, to kind of, you know, build their little silos of tactics that they do very well. And they're quite good at it. And it always, you know, as a, as someone who came from the organic side of things as an SEO, SEO, it, it just naturally is a little bit more holistic because you're looking at not only content, but the tech, the technical aspects of a website. You have to think about a lot of components for organic to work well. So I brought this kind of wiring, I guess, when I, when I took over the agency in the U.S. and I was kind of now working with performance media folks as well. It, it was, it was, I was always striving to get folks to kind of have a more synergistic approach to what they were doing in their strategies and in their execution. And I, you know, I think part of the challenge is we don't have a framework that is holistic in nature. Paid, owned, and earned is the closest we've gotten to that. But paid, earned, and owned, when you think about it, is siloed in and of itself, right? Right. But that's problematic, right? We don't want to think of paid and owned and earned as three separate things. Because at the end of the day, what are we really trying to do with paid, earned, and owned? We're trying to be visible, we're trying to be relevant, and we're trying to be trustworthy. So it really was my agency experience really kind of made me really think hard about what we're, what all of us are trying to do as an ecosystem to accomplish for a brand. And that's ultimately to drive brand preference. And again, what is the humor, the kind of buyer-centric language for what that, what that is. And that's where we, you know, I can't kind of landed on this idea of, of visibility, relevance, and trust. And it doesn't, you know, on any industry, B2B, B2C, direct to consumer, you know, I challenge anyone to not be able to fit everything into those three kind of key pillars. They're just human, the way humans make decisions. So when we think about those three pillars and this framework as a way to measure them for a brand, now I've seen one, we've had the privilege of working with you and we've gotten this output for clients of ours. And so first, before I, I go to the question I was going to ask, I will just follow on to what you said, the human element. Like I've seen this and heard this resonate with humans, the actual humans, right? That on the receiving end of it. So we know it works. How do, you, how do we measure it though, right? Mm -hmm. We're talking about it in a very qualitative sense, but the actual outputs, how can you go to somebody and say, here's your relevance score. So, yeah, how, so how are we scoring it and really what is it based on that we're judging how relevant or, or irrelevant something is? Yeah. So the VRT works best when we're looking at one brand versus its competitors. 
And it's really designed to really function in that way. Because when you think about what, you know, when we, when we try to, to quantify visibility or relevancy or trust, you need to, you need to benchmark it against something that makes sense. And the best thing to benchmark any particular brand is against another brand because the consumer is benchmarking your brand against another brand. This is how we work. So the VRT is best when we take and look at the whole competitive set and you have to draw the line somewhere. So the first thing you need to do is you say, who matters? When we think about this particular brand, what other brands would possibly be in consideration? And that, you know, you, that really starts with a kind of a discovery, you know, around what the brand thinks their competitors are. And it also is about, you know, kind of market share, if you will. So, you know, we don't want to compare a star, a Starbucks, you know, who's, which is a, an international brand against some, you know, local coffee shop. That wouldn't right. be, that wouldn't be a very an interesting comparison for Starbucks. And so we, we have to kind of first get the right subset of brands that we want to evaluate. And then the, the next challenge is, is that you don't have access really to the brand's analytics. And so you have to use publicly available data to start to quantify some of these aspects. And there's, you know, we live in it, we're really blessed as marketers today, Miles, in the sense that, you know, the marketing technology that surrounds us has never been better or cheaper. Right. Right. It used to be that large agencies, you know, like the one I ran, you know, we had an, we had an edge because we were so big, you know, that we were able to go, you know, buy the fancy tools and, you know, something brands can afford. But now, now most brands or agencies can pretty much have access to any, any of these things. So really the next thing comes to me, like, what do you trust most? What, are, what, what can give you the strongest and most accurate signals, most trustworthy signals? And, you know, you have to, you have to use social tools. You have to use search, you know, you have to use reputation management tools. And so, you know, you know, I, I, you know, the tools that we use over here, you know, are just ones that over the, over time have, have kind of proven to be most kind of accurate from, from my standpoint. What I would say to anybody out there that's listing is you don't have to, you know, there doesn't have to be a recipe of tools. What you have to do, if you wanted to do this on your own, you have to think about what tools do you trust that would be a way to measure these, these, these kind of things. So once you've measured them, and you've got scores for each of the three. How does it all come together into, into an output that somebody who's not familiar with the tools or big into market research looks at it and understands the scores, but then also now what do we do with this information? Yeah. So the, you know, the, the first thing that, that I've found after doing this many times now is, is that a, an a kind of a formula for calculating each of these components or pillars has to be tailored for every industry. So the way that we measure trust, for instance, for say a local brand would be different than how we would measure trust for a national brand, right? The signals would be a little different. The, the way that we measure relevancy for, let's say a home uh, product might be very different than a kind of lower price consumable product like chewing gum. So you've got to kind of like, you've got to tailor the, the weighting and the scoring system for every industry. So that's the first thing that I would say. But once you kind of have the, the, the right kind of weighting of, of each of the sub elements 
in each pillar. What, what, what's really nice is a story starts to emerge, Miles. So you, you start to say, okay, this brand is really doing well with being visible to consumers. They're visible in search. They're visible in social. But they might have a reputation that is less than stellar. And when you do, you know, what we tend to do as consumers is once we've identify a brand that, that feels relevant to us, many of us will take the next step and we will do a keyword search for something like the brand plus reviews. I'm sure a lot of the folks in your audience will, you know, will, will immediately kind of connect with that. It'll be, oh yeah, I've done that. You know, or we do on Amazon, we'll, we'll, we'll find the product and then we start digging into the reviews of it. And then we're also, by the way, we've been trained to kind of try to spot fake reviews versus, you know, genuine reviews. And so we do this whole kind of like analysis that, you know, we're, we're kind of, kind of sifting through and sniffing and seeing if everything's right. But what you find is when you have some, measurements around this that are that are relative, meaning that if, if someone scores high, they're scoring higher than their competition, we can start to say that's a strength. Their strength lies in visibility or their strength lies in relevancy or their strength lies in trust. And almost all brands have a weakness. And if we understand the strengths and weaknesses, I mean, this gets to this is like classic kind of, you know, kind of strategy 101. We want to attack the weaknesses and we want to kind of heavy up on our brand strengths. So we leverage our strengths and we attack the competitive weaknesses. So it starts to give us a framework, a strategic framework to decide what we want to do next in marketing or what do we want to shore up in marketing? And I, I think when we do that, we really, you know, we're, we're now, we're now, we're now elevating the tactics to a much, much more meaningful strategic conversation that gives us confidence about what we want to do and gives us an ability to be able to measure it on the back end to see how effective it's been. So have you seen this be the most effective with like the launch of a specific product for a company in a competitive landscape for an overarching go-to-market strategy for both? Is, is there one use of the VRT that seems to work better than another? You know, it, the, the, the great thing about it is that it works really in all of those situations. What really changes are the tactics for the brand. So let's think about that. If you are a new brand and you're a startup and you're launching, you have no organic visibility. You have no brand awareness, right? I mean, this is one of the hardest things to market for because these brands are starting from nothing. Now, it's also potentially one of the easiest things to market for because there's nothing we need to clean up. Yeah, there's no trust there's lost no, yet, right? Yeah, we don't have to like, you know, some brands have, you know, websites that, you know, are they're, they're technically just there's they're just so mature in the way that they're kind of been developed and and and, and you know, they're out there now for so long that to kind of fix them, you know, from an SEO standpoint or a content marketing standpoint or just kind of, you know, helping the brand position its messaging better, you have to kind of like get stakeholders to let go of things. Okay, we're going to not do this. We're going to like get rid of this homepage. It has all of your, you know, stuff that you're proud about as a company that the consumer doesn't care at all about. We're going to have to let that go. So that creates a lot of political kind of like, you know, effort to, to get people to let go of stuff. So you, we think of again, a startup is, is its challenges are that nobody knows about the brand. 
And so I have to spend a significantly more money, a much more money for that brand because we have to buy eyeballs, we have to buy visibility. But relevancy might become easier because we're getting to tell a clean new story about the brand. So relevancy becomes a little easier and trust becomes a little easier because we're starting from, you know, all we need is about 10 or 20 good reviews and one important social influencer and we're rolling with trust. So it's just a matter of, I mean, the framework works to help, you know, either a mature company or a startup understand what are the levers that we need to move that are, you know, that are easiest for us to move. And so that's for the, like a startup going to market. And then how does the same approach change if you're a legacy company? And is it the same if they're launching a new product or they're just reevaluating their initial strategy? What, what do they do differently with this? Yeah, I think a mature, uh, you know, again, you know, it all depends on how they score competitively. But, you know, a lot of times large brands will spend an awful lot in paid, in paid media and they will not spend enough in organic. They will not leverage, they will not do enough to leverage their, their brand awareness, their age of domain, their kind of perceived authority on a topic. They won't do enough to leverage that in the organic space. And so for them, oftentimes it's about how do we kind of balance what we're doing to buy visibility to start earning it as well. And so a lot of times a mature brand, there might be the biggest opportunity might be to do something like for manufacturers. We like to say, listen, if you, if you've been, you know, making carpet for 200 years, you know, like you, you're, you're like a U.S., a venerable U.S. brand around something like carpet then you are the expert in carpet. What are you doing to, you know, to showcase that expertise? Now there's an example of kind of an old brand that can do a lot more around doing something with that, that authority. Now, oftentimes brands that are been around for a while tend to not be very good at putting their messaging and their positioning in a very buyer centric way. And they tend not to be very good at editing their content and they tend to be a little long winded or, you know, kind of talking manufacturing speak or getting going on a, a little too much about themselves instead of really trying to communicate, translate is a good word for this. You got to translate the attributes of your product or service into a language that's immediately relevant to the buyer. Oftentimes mature brands do that with words when they should do that with imagery. Oftentimes brands do that with imagery when they should be doing it with video. Oftentimes brands do that with clip art when they should do it, should be doing it with, you know, kind of real genuine consumers, like actually be more, you know, so those are the kind of things that I think, you know, it's almost like you have to clean out the old marketing, kind of approach and you have to help them kind of, you know, rethink everything from a new marketing lens, a new relevant lens. Which makes sense because I've seen the deliverable of what, what you produce with this and doing this work with a VRT gives you that foundation for that conversation where you could say, listen, I'm not just saying this to say it because people tend to get very protective over all those things you mentioned that we, we want them to get rid of. 
And then it puts it in perspective for them about where they're, they are potentially losing, but also where they could go and win if they did the following things. And so it brings it all back to this. It allows people to speak the same language, I think, for those marketing conversations and not feel like they don't understand the numbers or like you said, it pulls it up to the, the high level strategy instead of getting lost in the tactics. Yeah, the, the, the brands that we work with on this tend to, you know, it gives them context. That's that that's like the thing, you know, oh, okay, now I kind of understand why this is important and this is important over here because it's all part of getting, you know, kind of be, being more visible to our consumers. Right. And so one of the things I'll talk to my brands about is like, you know, like they tend to get like brands and, you know, will tend to, will do what they know how to do. So if you've spent a lot of time and money on paid search and you've gotten, you know, kind of the adequate ROI out of it, then you, you like, you tend to just kind of heavy up there. And, you know, you might, you, you, you know, the question then, the really question you should be asking yourself, should I spend another dollar in this channel that I already know works for us? And some would say, of course you would. But you're, if you, if it's, you only have the one dollar, you may be missing the opportunity to be testing another platform. So, so many, you know, it's the, the, the younger brands tend to kind of be driven to where the, where the new platforms with new audiences are going. Like let's say TikTok versus Facebook. And, but smart brands would be out there kind of looking at all of the places that their brand may be visible or may be relevant or may be trust might be built from. And they would ex be experimenting there as well. That's something your agency does a great job of, Miles. Is it, I know that you guys really advocate for putting, you know, an allocation aside to Absolutely. exploring and experimenting there. And that's kind of this idea that, hey, we're trying to, at the end of the day, we're trying to get visibility. And if we only look at three different platforms or channels to get visibility, what what percentage of of buyers, potential buyers, are we are we just kind of letting our competitors speak to, and we're not there. I love that word context because I think that does frame it up. Definitely provides context for the conversations. And to everybody listening to this, so that you have some more context for this conversation you've been listening to, we are putting in the link of the show notes of this podcast a piece that Eric has shared out on LinkedIn as an example of the VRT. So you can go find Eric and find the VRT in one link, making it as easy as possible for you, and you'll have. Then I think the full context to, to soak up everything Eric's been saying. So Eric, appreciate your time for this conversation. This is a really succinct overview, I think, of the VRT. And now we'll send people out to go take it in. And I'm sure we'll be talking about this in, in deeper conversations in some episodes to come. Yeah, really appreciate it, Miles. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to this episode of Test, Learn, Grow from your friends at Level Agency. For more information on what we do here at Level, be sure to visit us online at www.level.agency. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of this podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to the show so that you never miss an episode. And until next time, remember that the best way to do any sort of marketing is to test, learn, and grow.